Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How is everyone doing? Can you just shout out from where you are and just say a big hi, a nice hi. Give someone a virtual high five where they are and, and just let them know that you love them. Right. I see a couple of people online now. Can't see everyone, but I just want to say I love all of you. I see Eunice. I see I see Mercy Johnson. I see Chisum. Love you. I, I see Glory. I see Oyinkan. I see Daniel, I see David, um, I see, who else am I seeing? I'm seeing Dolakbo, yes. I see all of you and I'm so glad that you're here. I see Fisayo, yes. <laughs> it's so good to have you. I see Yanu as well. So, I mean, we're going to get started. I see Glory, did I say, I see? yeah, I see Glory too. So, um, I see Erowo, awesome, I see success, great, so. We're, we're in for an amazing time this evening, and I'm so glad that you're excited as I am. I really do hope you are, um, because we're starting a brand new teaching series, one that I've anticipated for a very long time. It's a long time coming, and it's finally here. And the title of this theme, or should I just say the theme is, the theme of this teaching series is asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. It's not unusual that you have friends who have certain questions. I, I would want to assume that everyone here listening is a believer, is born again. And if you're not and you're just tuning in to find out what this is all about, that's also fine. But I know that you yourself, no matter who you are, you've had your your friends ask you questions. And, and you know, it's just that phrase where, you know, you say you, you want to have the answers, you know, just in case a friend needs the answer to that question as well. And this entire series, for as long as it's going to span, I really don't think it's going to last for just a month. We might have to do it for two months because there's so much to discuss. And we'll, of course, have to do it another time. It's a series that's endless because there are so many relevant and controversial issues that that keep coming up by the day right there there's so much to talk about but the point of this teaching series is first of all to educate you but more importantly to help educate you to educate others because you're asking for a friend you're not just receiving this knowledge so that you you just have the knowledge and you're better than the next guy the whole point of this is to give you the right knowledge so that you can teach others. See, I believe that as a believer, there are expectations of us. We, we need to have the river flow mentality. How many of you know the river flow mentality? It's whatever comes into the river needs to go out so that there's more room for more. So as you're receiving, you have to dish it out as well. Second Timothy 2 verse 2 I'm just going to read it quickly. This is what it says. It says, and the things that thou has heard of me, this is Paul talking to Timothy, the things you've heard from me, Timothy, amongst many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men 
who shall be able to teach others also. Paul is telling Timothy, see, I've, I've told you so many things, you know, in the eyes of many. People have, have been there. They've been witnesses to the things I've told you. I want you to find faithful people that you can also communicate the same things to. So the whole point is to have a ripple effect with this knowledge, a river flow mentality that as I'm receiving this, I'm not just receiving this knowledge for myself. There's someone out there that needs it. Do you, are you following so far? You're asking for a friend. Assume you're asking for a friend. Assume that you know that not just you, but someone else is going to need this knowledge. Praise the name of Jesus. And there's biblical precedence for that. I'm going to show you that. But I feel that if, if we develop this sense of, of responsibility in the church early enough, um, you know, it's going to help a lot of people. The way we teach and learn should be done in a way that causes us to teach to others. Right. It, 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 we have to develop a sense of responsibility to always educate. Someone needs what you know. You need to realize that someone actually needs what you know and what you know many times is enough. We, we have the tendency to water down the knowledge we have and say, ah, I don't really know much. I know I've heard something about this, but right now I don't think I'm able to talk about it. No, I promise you, you don't realize how much you know and how powerful it is to someone who is in need of that knowledge, right? Someone, and, and I tell you that someone will actually need what you're about to learn today. So you have to pay the closest attention, right? The, just so you know, this is a, is an apologetic series. And for those of you who don't know what that term is, it's not when we say we are sorry, oh, my friend. I'm sorry, I beg, I beg, you know, vex. That's not what apologetics is. Apologetics is from a Greek word called apologia, and it simply means to give a defense. It's what happens when you go to a court of law and you have an attorney or a lawyer, and the lawyer stands you know, to defend the client that is being accused. That's what apologia means. So right now we have become the judge, the jury, the executioner. Guess who the client is? The client has become God. And we are God's lawyers, apparently, to help give a defense for and vouch for God's credibility. In this case and for this teaching, we are vouching, we're trying to put the, the goodness of God on trial. Our job is to give a defense, to help explain to the world that really, is, is God really that good? Regardless of all we're seeing around, can we say he really is still good? That's the point of this teaching in particular. All right. But I mean, to start this off, I, I want you to just open your Bibles, turn your Bibles with me. I really hope you're with your Bibles and you're with your writing materials. Right. I really do hope you do. You have that. Um, open your Bibles to first Peter. First Peter. Wow. I'm seeing a lot of people from different states. Some are from Port Harcourt. I see Abuja. Lagos, nice. That's great. First um, Peter chapter three from verse fifteen, and if you follow this ministry, you definitely know this one already. But I mean, the the more times we read it, the better it gets. So open your Bibles to First Peter three verse fifteen. Oh, this is gonna bless you big time. Are you there? All right, I'm gonna read. It says. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man 
that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I'm going to break this down quickly. It's very simple. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. What that means, the word sanctify means to set apart. It means you have to prioritize God in such a way that you, 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 you create space for him in your heart, in your life. There must be space for him, consecrated for him. And you're going to see how that space you're creating is, is a knowledge of him, an understanding of him. So you create that space in your heart because you honor God. And be ready always. It tells you how to do this, how to sanctify your heart. It's telling you be ready always. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It sounds like such a long sentence, but what it's trying to say is people will ask questions. People will ask you, what is the reason of your hope? You call yourself a Christian. Why are you a Christian? You say you are a Christian, yet you got an F in your exam. You say you are a Christian, yet your, your, your uncle passed away recently. What makes you a Christian? Why are you in this thing? Isn't this old fashioned? The Bible tells you that people will ask questions. People will come to you needing answers. Some might be legit and some might just try to cause trouble. But people will ask you nonetheless. But he tells you something. He says, be ready. Always be ready to give an answer. It reminds me of a song I grew up knowing when I was a child. I'm not going to sing it. Um, but it simply says, be ready to give an answer. I learned it when I was five years old. Be ready to give an answer. Know what you believe. Write God's word in your heart before you wear it on your sleeve. And then it talks about more things. It says, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Basically, it's a song that taught me to be ready to give an answer. And this is what I'm echoing to everyone listening to me. If you are afraid of confrontation, if you are afraid of people challenging your faith, look, you're not ready for this world. Because guess what? That's the world we're in. We're in a woke generation. Allow me to use that term. It's woke. It's not awake. It's woke. (laughs) And everyone wants to know everything. People want to find out why. You know, someone, my mom tell, uh, tells me this very often. She says, see, during your time, I had it easy. You know, when she was raising me, she tells me, Kenneth, sit down. I'll sit down. Kenneth, stand up. I'll stand up. Yes, I was that obedient. <laughs> but she's also handling Gen Z. Well, I am Gen Z, but she's... Is it Gen Alpha now that they call them? The ones after Gen Z. She's handling them in in the children's church. And it's different. She sees the difference. She says, sit down. And the child will say, why? (laughs) Like, it's changed. The dynamics have changed. People want to know why. How? Don't just tell me what to do. Tell me how. That's the generation we live in. If you feel that you can hide your Christianity and just go about living this way, living that way, trying to stay in your shell and your comfort zone, guess what? People will come to pull you out of your comfort zone. And if you're not ready, you just might have caused a stink 
in the name of Christianity. And so their expectations of you, dear believer, be ready. Be ready. Be ready to respond. To be able to give an answer to people. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. But I promise you, it's also easy to do. Praise the Lord. That's why we're having this teaching series. The whole point of this ministry, Vivify, is not just to educate you or give you knowledge, but to show you that it's simple. And as simple as it is, it's effective. That's the point. Turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 4. This one, you're going to love it, I promise. Colossians chapter 4 from verse 5 to 6. Can we open our Bibles there? Oh, glory to God. This is exciting. Colossians chapter 4 from verse 5 to 6. I'm trying to lay a foundation for this series. And then we dive right into the discussion of today. Are you there with me? All right. Let's uh, let's read it together. It says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Those that are without, it's talking about those that are not of the faith. Unbelievers. Right? Verse 6. Paul is telling the Colossians, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. I hope you've eaten because I'm going to say this again and I hope you're not hungry. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Mm, that's great. That you might that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I, I like this one. It says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. When you talk about seasoning something with salt, it means it's it's pleasant. It's pleasing to the taste. You can't eat chicken or a nice stir-fried spaghetti and not have seasoning inside. It's going to taste bland and it, it's just going to taste just you know, it's not going to, if, if, I mean, the, the, the Bible even says if the salt loses its saltiness, how, how can it be made salty again? It, it, it has no use once it loses its taste. But it's saying, let your speech be seasoned, seasoned with salt. What that means is in the way you, you speak and talk, let it be winsome. Let it be persuasive. Let it be pleasant. Let it be convincing. Let it be appealing. And it says that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So there, there is, when it comes to apologetics, we're going to talk much more about this at the Audacity Conference. It's about two plus weeks to, to go. And I'm really excited about it. And I really wish you all attend the program. What you realize about apologetics, which is the defense of the faith, is that it's both a science and, and an art. There is a science part, but there is knowledge, there's, there's methods to it, there is methodology, there is, there is, there is how to go about it. There is there's what to know, what to say. The art part of it is the, is the presentation part, it's dynamic, it's creative. It involves you applying wisdom to know how to answer people. So the Bible tells you, those that are without, you need to know how to answer them. When the Bible says you need to know how to answer them, it means they're asking questions. It means they'll ask you questions and you better be ready. You have to be ready. Some of us spend so much time getting ready for an exam that we'll get ready 
to answer someone who asks us about our faith or about God or about religion or about sex or about life or about death. So the Bible tells us that we need to buckle up. We need to always be ready. You, you can't be found, you can't be found ignorant. That's the, that's the burden we have now because people will challenge you. You can't be found ignorant at any time. Praise the name of Jesus. How about for an introduction? Yeah, so look, we're, we're diving deeper now. The topic for today in the asking for your friend, asking for a friend series, which is the first installment, is if God is good, why is there so much evil? If God is good, why is there so much evil? The, the Bible claims and tells us God is good. But the world has put God on the stand to investigate these claims. And that includes you. Because I feel that possibly, maybe this is me being presumptuous, but it's, it's possible that you, you've... you've had a moment where you had questioned God's goodness like God like how far are you now like what's going on right now like is this actually happening for some of you it was sometime last year when the pandemic hit and you heard about the different deaths and people who died from the pandemic and people who lost their jobs and people whose companies got shut down and you were like God what's happening how come nobody saw this coming? What's happening? Not even your prophet saw this coming. What's happening? And then for some people, you know, you saw what happened, what, what we call Black Tuesday at Lekki Massacre. You, you saw what happened and you grieved. God, what, where were you when this was happening? Why did you let it happen? And there was a time, I think it was also last year, but we heard series upon series of rape cases. This got raped. That person got raped. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? God, where are you? And then some of you lost family members, friends. Maybe just like I did. And you go out and have to ask God, like, I'm trying. I'm trying hard to believe you are good. But why doesn't it look like it? We're putting God on the stand. We're asking these questions because people want to know. Your friends want to know these answers. And I'm sure you do too. Maybe deep down you already know no, God is good no matter what the circumstances. But what this teaching wants to help you do is really have a sense of assurance and conviction regardless. To investigate these claims and at the same time arrive at a conclusion to see if God really is good or not. Praise the name of Jesus. Of course, I have a bias being the, the teacher here to, to give you, to bring you to that conclusion that God is good. And I hope I do a good job. But I want us to just study this together. First things first, the first thing I want you to know before we dive in properly is that you need to understand God's disposition to doubt. Whether it's our doubt or other people's doubt. You need to realize that God is not unempathetic. He's not unempathetic to us. The Bible tells us we don't have a high priest who is not affected with, with, with the feelings that we have. 
He he knows, he understands, he's gone through what we went through. He became a man, suffered the things we suffered, endured the things we endured. He understands, he's not estranged from us. He knows that there are days it doesn't seem that he is good and he understands that, I promise. So let me show you some places where God responded to doubt, to people's doubt, right? Um, it's clear that's from Hebrews eleven six that God is not pleased when we doubt, right? Because if Hebrews eleven six says without faith it's impossible to please God, so faith pleases God, but doubt doesn't. But the question is, how does it respond to our our times of doubt, our actions of doubt? Let me cite the, the first case. Look at Luke chapter twenty four. Let's open our Bibles there quickly. Luke chapter twenty four from verse twenty nine. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is so good. Luke 24 from verse 29. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, I'm just praying under my breath for everyone who has doubted God for, for the longest time. Maybe you just can't find stability in your trust in God. I pray that through this teaching, there is so much peace in your heart. That you get to see God for who he is and trust him entirely. I pray this for you in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Luke 24, we're going to read from verse 29. And look, this is what happened. Like, I want to show you how much, how how patient God God is. And, And in this case, we're talking about God in flesh, Jesus Christ. So look at this. Jesus had resurrected after he had been crucified. He had resurrected and he met these two folks on the way to the, you know, they were going on the way to Emmaus and he joined them, but they didn't recognize him. And they were just distant, telling him the things that had happened. Are you, are you kidding me, this man? Are you telling me you've not heard all that has happened in Israel these past days? Ah, he's like, you've been living under a rock. He literally was for three days um, in the grave. But anyways, and he was like, what happened? And he said there was Jesus who was the Messiah. He said he would do this, he would do that, but they killed him. And now it's been three days, nothing, no show. So we are just frantic. And while Jesus always found a way to yab these people, um, which you'll see in the next story, he yabbed them. You need to realize he actually did. Um, if you look at verse 25, he said to them, All fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And, and you see, he challenges them like, are you kidding me? Are you guys really that slow that you don't realize that this was meant to happen? That the Christ, the Messiah was meant to suffer and enter into his glory. And when he said, oh fools, he wasn't trying to be insultive. He was just stating what had happened. Like a foolish person is someone who doesn't apply the heart to the wisdom of scripture. That's simple. If you're not wise in scriptures and you're not wise concerning salvation, you are a fool. It's not an insult. But I would I, like to just see it as a, a little yab there. But he told them that, right? He told them that. But look at what he did next. Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Look at what he did. He exp- Now, if I were Jesus, and thank goodness I'm not... I'll see, are you kidding me? You wait, wait, wait. So you are part of the people that are doubting me, Abby. Me. I told you I'll rise after three days. You people are saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, get out of here. Rubbish. 
and just maybe blow one breeze, one tornado, send one tornado to carry them somewhere else. You know, something like that. <laughs> and just leave them. But look at what he did. He, he, he took his time. The Bible says from Moses and the prophets. Moses, when the Bible says Moses, it means the law. From the law and the prophets, he expounded unto them. He explained to them the things, you know, concerning himself in all scripture. The Bible said in all scripture, he explained who has that time. Think about it. He saw people who actually were doubting. But look at his response. He took his time to explain to them. He took his time to let them see. But look, at that point, they still didn't know who was talking. You need to realize that. And then verse 29, you know, they told him, stay with us. No, it's getting late. Just just stay. Abide with us, they said. You know, the day is far spent. So he went and tarried with them. Verse 30, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them. Look at this. He broke bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. By the time he did that, he broke the bread, blessed it, gave it to them. Their eyes were opened. It could have been the breaking of the bread. You know, for them, it's like, ah, it's the, it's the breaking of bread for me. Or maybe for them, it was, ah, it's the prayer for me. The way he blessed the bread that they realized. But whatever happened, their eyes were opened. And they knew him. But guess what happened? He vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us, by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? They're like, I knew there was something about this guy. Our hearts, our hearts, it, they burned. There was, it burned. Our hearts burned with a passion. <laughs> they burned with a passion for all the things he said. How did we miss it? But you need to realize one thing. He stayed with them through that process from doubt to belief, from a place of darkness where they were blinded to the part where their eyes were opened. Praise the name of Jesus. You need to realize that Jesus was patient with doubting people. I mean, how can we even talk about doubt and not mention this next guy? You know him. He's very popular. His name is Thomas. Right, you know how Thomas was. Jesus had, a, had made an appearance to a couple of the disciples, but Thomas was not there at the time. And he came back asking, No, 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 what do you people mean that he's alive? Uh-uh. Should be, I saw him. Was it not the one that they put? Uh-uh. Romans dealt with him, they killed him on the tree. And it's the same person. No, now you people understand that you are fanatics, eh? But relax, no, 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 until I see. The holes in his hand and the and the and the spear wound in his side, I will not believe. And then look at what happened. Verse in John chapter 20 from verse 26. If you can open there with me, that would be great. John chapter 20 from verse 26. Look at what it says. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them. Look, this guy had complained, I will, I will not believe if I were Jesus again, and thank goodness I am not Jesus. Eh? Wait, wait Peter, you, you mean Thomas does not believe I'm alive? Eh, you should go and die. No, don't believe I'm alive. What rubbish, I beg. 
I beg, just as Judas went, it will be going. <laughs> you know, something like that. Thank goodness I'm not Jesus. But look at what happened. Look at his response to Thomas' doubt. And he appeared in the midst of them. This was just like he vanished from their midst there. He appeared, literally appeared. Because the doors were shut. They were trying to escape and, and hide from the Roman soldiers. He appeared in the midst of them, literally appeared and said, peace be unto you because they were frightened. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, he he knew his mission. He was there to convince Thomas. Are you following? He didn't greet them and say, let's break bread first. I say, "Eh, Thomas, eh, eh, I was hearing something. (laughs) He, He came for Thomas. He spoke to him, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Look at what he said. He said, touch, you, you want to see, Abby? Yeah, feel the hole in my hands. Feel the, the spear wound in my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Look at what 20, uh, verse 28 says. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, it's really you. Oh my God. Well, you're my God, but you get, oh my God. He was, he was shocked. But look at what Jesus did. He gave him a little yab here. Jesus said to him, ah, Thomas. So because you've seen me, you believe, Abby. He said, blessed are they that have not seen yet believe. Ah, that's what he told Thomas. Another person was Abraham. See, I need to, I need you to understand this. Abraham was was testified as the father of faith, the friend of God. He was that guy, goody two shoes, nice guy, obedient guy. But you need to realize that even in his life, you need to realize that he had some doubt. How do I know he had some doubt? Ishmael, Ishmael is the proof of Abraham's doubt, the product. Of Abraham's doubts. Do you know there was a time after he had Ishmael, um, the Lord appeared to Abraham and spoke to him and said, you know, he was just telling him, as for Sarah, the wife, this is Genesis 17, 15, by the way, Genesis 17, 15. It says, as for Sarah, your wife, you know, you shall not call her Sarah, but you call her Sarah, you know, and I will bless her and I will give you a son. Um, of her, it was specific. Now he knew Abraham had already done magumago with Hagar, the house help, or the slave, or the servant. But he says, "I will." He said, "I will bless Sarah. I will give you a son of her. I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. King of people shall be of her." Then Abraham fell upon him. Look at this. I don't think many people have seen this in their Bibles. Genesis 17, 17. You can't forget that scripture now. 17, 17. Look at what Abraham did. Then the Bible says, Abraham fell upon his face and did what? And laughed. This was not laughter of joy, you. <laughs> I hope you know. This wasn't a laugh of joy of, ah, God, <laughs> you've done me so well. <laughs> Glory to God. No. He laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And Sarah that is ninety years old? No way. Now, how is that possible now? How far? So, this was a laughter of mockery, of doubt. No, 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 no. How? Look at that. 
But see what he said to God. He said, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He said, no, no, no. See, I, I, I know you're giving me a promise. Look, I understand. But we waited for a long time. After you gave the promise, we looked out nine months. Nothing happened. A year after, nothing. Two years, nothing. But we had Ishmael and we were happy about him. But let him live before you. Let it be Ishmael. Let him be the one. Let him live before you. And look at what God replied. Ha, this young guy. Ha, okay, maybe you didn't hear me the first time. Let me repeat myself. Verse 19, Sarah, thy wife, will bear you a son indeed, for sure. And you will call his name Isaac. And I will establish my cause. So you have Ishmael, but this one will be Isaac. Eh? It's a different child. It's, it's different from the one you have now. Eh? If, the one I didn't approve of. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I've blessed him. I will make him fruitful, multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee. So Abraham was the guy who was trying to bring about the will of God by his works. And God said, no. If I'm going to, if you're going to bring about my plan and my promise, it will be by grace. It will be by a miraculous intervention from me. That was the point. And Abraham missed this. He was trying to help God accomplish the promise. He was helping God. Whereas God was like, no, I'm supposed to be the one to do the work. So look, Abraham had his time of doubt. Not just now. Even in having Ishmael, that was an expression of doubt. Here he expressed it again. His wife expressed it another time. You, 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 you're more conversant of that one where she laughed and scoffed. You're, so, so don't think that as much as Abraham was described as a man of faith and you look at his life, a man of faith, doesn't mean he didn't have those moments of doubt. And you need to see how God, God didn't smite him dead. God embraced him with his doubts and helped him from a place of doubt to a place of faith. Praise the name of Jesus. Do you see that even to the product of his doubts, God was faithful. God was good. God took care of Ishmael, established him, increased him exponentially. God did that. Even to the product of Abraham's doubt, Ishmael. So you need to realize that God's disposition to doubt is not one of ridicule, it's not one of condemnation, it's one of patience. With every person that I described here, God was with them in their place of doubt and walked them through till they got to the place where their eyes were opened, where they finally saw that this is him, this is God, and he is here. So when you have doubt, when you have questions, don't think that God is annoyed with you. Yes, as much as God would love for you to put faith in him all the time and be consistent in faith, don't think that he's not intentional about clearing out all the doubts in your heart. I think one of the guys that got it right was the guy who prayed to Jesus for his son and said, you know, Jesus asked him, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my own belief. He, he, he admitted to God, I, I believe, but there, there are still parts of me that just don't believe yet. I need your help. I need you to clear out my own belief. And you need to see that God is intentional about doing that. It might take some time. With Thomas, it was not the same day that he had those doubts that they were cleared out. The Bible said it was eight days after. Don't think that it's always an immediate thing. Be patient. 
If you have doubts, talk to someone about it. Pray about it. But know this at the back and at the front and at the top, at the bottom of your mind, that God is intentional about clearing all doubts you have about him and his goodness. Praise the name of Jesus. Don't forget that. You're going to need that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So let's get down to business. Let's get down to business. Glory to God. Look at this. Um, Let's just look at those things that we consider as evil. What are the things we consider? We're, We're bringing a case. If God really is good, why is there evil? What are some of the things that we consider as evil? If you'd like to share as well, please go ahead in the comment section. But look, I'm going to tell you some things that I feel are evil, even in this day, right? Untimely death. That's evil. That's terrible. Untimely death. And just recently we hear of, of um, a, a man of God, prominent, well-known minister of God who just passed away. Untimely. Nobody expected. And even before now, we heard of another one. These are, these are sad, depressing events. We talk about natural disasters, which some people call the acts of God. You've heard that before, right? That this hurricane was, was an act of God. This tornado was an act of God. The earthquake was an act of God. Seemingly because it's, it's somewhat, um, somewhat spectacular and supernatural, you know, that humans didn't directly influence. So they say it's an act of God. When we talk about bad things, we talk about failures. We talk about bad things or evil things. We talk about temptations. We talk about heartbreaks. We talk about murder. We talk about theft. We talk about rape. We talk about terrorism. And even ultimately, we talk about going to hell. You know, people will also ask, if God is good, why does he send people to hell? What I want to do is to help you understand the things that happen the things that are beyond that that are within our control and the reason why evil still exists that's what we're going to do but just just starting with a few of these things when you talk about untimely death what constitutes untimely death is it possible that god you know some people say that oh god you know god gives god takes away you know, in regards to this, that oh, God can just decide to take a person's life at at will. You know, they'll cite some examples. But when you when you talk about untimely death, I think we're so quick to make that that judgment for God and say, ah, this was God. This was God's will. This was God's doing. That if God did not will it, you know, it wouldn't have happened. You know, just the same way someone can imagine this. Like, what would you say? I feel a lot of people are quick to make those conclusions, but what would you say if you're walking on the road, right? If you're walking on the road um, and you're with your daughter, right? You're about to cross the road to the other side and you didn't look to your left to look to your right to check what the cars, you know, the cars that were coming and you're just in such a hurry and you just walked and your, your child just ran in front of you very fast and a car just... Whew, just hit her on the spot and she she passed what would the conclusion be would you say oh god why why did you take my daughter from me would you come to that conclusion immediately what i see from a situation like that is just maybe just maybe 
that man, the father was at fault or the mother holding that child was at fault. Right? Is, is it possible that sometimes we are to blame for the things that we do? It's funny how many times people do good, experience good things. We say, thank you, Lord. You know, and, and when bad things happen, we also just look to God and say, God, you, you, you made that happen. God, why did you let that happen? But we have to be careful to know what is man's responsibility and what is God's. Praise the name of Jesus. I, I, I had a friend. Um, not a friend, sorry. I had um, a family friend. That's what I meant to say. Well, who is a friend? A family friend who passed away last year. Sadly. And, you know, everybody was saying, oh, it was his time. It was his time to go. And, you know, this is just what God does. It's his timing. He knows best. And all these comments that we always hear all the time. And they did the autopsy to find out what caused his death. It came out a few weeks after. And guess what it was, guys? Guess what it was? It was so, it's so pitiful saying it right now. But it was because he was highly dehydrated. He didn't take water. That was the problem. He didn't take enough water. And so he had a cardiac arrest as a result. He didn't have enough blood pumping through his veins. And that's what made him die. Think about that, guys. If he had drank a little more water, maybe the story would have been different. But then we look and say, God, why? So uh, what I'm trying to say is that you need to first, before making any conclusion or, or before anyone makes a conclusion, to first think did i have a part to play in this what are the things to you know at play in this is is it always god do we always have to point the finger at god immediately how are we sure it's him when you talk of natural disasters these are not acts of god you know what i'm I'm gonna do i'm going to first explain something to you And, and this is a point in god's defense i'm going to give you four points right Number one on that list, I'm going to say is God is not the author of evil. Sin is. I want you to write that down. God is not the author of evil. Sin is. I'm going to explain. I promise. I'm going to explain. Some of the things that that I consider evil too, just in case um, I didn't mention this, it's sickness. Sickness is one of those things, right? Especially terminal sicknesses and diseases. Um, Or it is even the, the case of hunger too, right? Poverty. But let's write this point. God is not the author of evil. Sin is. And I'm not exactly saying that sin is a personality. But what I'm saying is that God is not the author of evil. According to the Bible, when God created the entire world and created the universe, everything he created on every single day, the conclusion was the same. And it was this. God saw what he created and said that it was good. God saw that the things he created were beautiful in order and said that it was good. He saw that the the, the earth rotate around the sun. He made the sun, the moon, and stars. He looked at all the galaxies he created. They were pleasing to his eyes and he said it was good. He created the animals in harmonious harmonious creation. He, He brought them together, planted the trees, made them grow from the ground, separated the water from the land, brought beautiful blue skies and filled it with birds of all colors and shapes and sizes and looked and said this is good the question that i always ask is at what point the things start to go bad 
The Bible tells us in Romans 5.12 that through one man, death, sin and death reigned upon all. Because of one man's disobedience, and you, you know who that is, talking about Adam and Eve, because of their action, that's where we start to see things go south. We start to hear about death and toiling and, and pain at birth. When, when she's given birth, she has to experience some pain. Man has to work hard for the things that could have come easily now. We start to hear of death, the first death that happened with and murder with Cain and Abel. We start to hear of, of all the things that followed with the, the time of Noah and, and people doing all sorts of evil to the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Where did things start getting bad? It was at that point where man exercised his free will and said no to God and disobeyed God. The Bible says sin reigned upon all. It was from that moment that sin started to have its way. And where sin is, there is death. Where sin is, there is decadence. There is disease. There is chaos. There is pain. There is darkness. There is there are disasters. You need to realize that all that you see that is wrong with this world is because we're in a fallen world that sin has corrupted. It's it's it, it, it's it, it's a real thing. It's a real fact. Sin is not just a spiritual thing that happened to us inside. It did corrupt us, but it also corrupted all that we see around. There, was not meant, there wasn't meant to be death in the first place. There wasn't meant to be decadence or sickness. That was not God's plan. That's not good in God's eyes. So sin brought evil into this world. If I, if I put it more directly, we did. Adam did. He brought evil into this world. And what you see God do from, from Genesis to, to what we see in the book of Revelation is a story, a timeline of God making all things new. Of God trying to redeem things, restore things back, restore man's relationship with him, and also restore this world back to order. That's God's plan. That's what God has always been about. So God is not the author of sin. He's not the author of evil. But man is ultimately. And, and that's through sin. So sin brought these things to be. Praise the name of Jesus. That's the first point I'm going to raise. The second point is if God gets rid of all evil, you'd make the number. <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that coming. I'm going to say that again. If God gets rid of all evil, you would make that number. So if God looks in the world and says, you know, we ask God, you are good. Why is there so much evil? Why can't you just get rid of them and wipe out all the evil in the earth? He will start with you. <laughs> Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And, and, and when you look at what happened in the time of Noah, it was an example of that. Of evil people where the whole earth was filled with evil and he did wipe them out and the people with it so the whole point is if, if God was going to get rid of all evil he would start with you you'll be part of the people because back well not as believers right now but back then we were sinful but the Bible tells us about God that he's not his long suffering, not as men count slackness or laziness, but he's willing that all come to repentance and no one perishes. He wills that 
all come to repentance. That's his idea. Praise the name of Jesus. So he's not going to just wake up and wipe out all evil. That's not, that's not the plan. We need to realize that God is a patient God. And that leads me to the next point. And that's God is just. He's not wicked. God is just. Not wicked. God is just. Not wicked. You know, from an angle, if you have a court case and someone committed murder, and the judge says, because you committed murder, you deserve a death sentence. So you'll be put to death on such a day. That's my verdict. Boom, boom. Courts arise. What happens, you know, from, from your perspective, maybe you know the person that was murdered. You say, yes, this is good. This is justice. But to others who know this murderer, maybe this George Seth, he's so wicked. I could not even forgive or have mercy. Two sides of a coin. But the truth is the judge was actually good. He was good in making that verdict. He was just in taking that action. So a lot of people blame God for the atrocities and the deaths and the calamities. But the truth is many of those actions he's taking towards people. When you read the Bible, he did it out of justice because sin must be punished. If you do wrong, it needs to be punished. That's what is good. That's that's law and order. If someone does something bad, they deserve to be punished. If they do something good, they deserve to be rewarded. But you see that every time when you hear that God, you know, showed his wrath upon sin in a certain place or a certain town, there was always a window of grace. There was always a time where he was patient with them, pleading with them, telling them, come back, come back come back repent pleading with them there was always that time he did it in the time of noah do you know that it was almost a century that noah took to build that ark and while he was building he was he was asking people to repent preaching to the people before the floods finally came there was there were several years of warnings but they didn't listen in sodom and gomorrah there were warnings to these people and in fact god talked to abraham there was a sort of negotiation going if you can find some righteous people spare the land people who are willing to repent nope okay if you can find 20 nope 10 nope only lot and his family were the only righteous people willing to repent Willing to, 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 to trust God and serve God, the living God. And, and then he took action. With the Ninevites, when he sent Jonah to them, guess what? He sent someone. The proof that God is not eager to destroy people. The proof that God is slow to anger is that he sends people. He sends warnings ahead of time. Do you see? And that's a God who cares. He could, he, if he decided to just wipe them out without explanation, he's just because he's given them what they deserve. But in his mercy, he also took the initiative to warn them. And when he sent Jonah, what happened? These guys actually repented up unto their animals. Their animals repented and fasted. Such a powerful message, right? And and at that, look, God showed his justice. Are you following me? 
So when you look at the things that happen, don't be quick to say God is terrible, destroying people, killing people. There's a place of justice. And because God is just in what he's doing, he's good for being just. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. So we've mentioned three points. Now, the first one was that God is not the author of evil, right? Man is, or I'll say sin is. Number two was if God gets rid of all evil, you'd make that number. Number three is God is just and not wicked. He's just. And number four will be this. Um, but before I get to number four, just a point to the question of of if God is good, why would he send anyone to hell? I want to just open John chapter three. It's a very no, it's a very popular scripture. Um, we read verse 16 most of the time, but I want us to go a bit further than that. So John chapter three, we're going to read from verse 17. Open your Bible. People ask, if God is good, why is he sending people to hell? Why? Why? How's that good? Sending people to, to, to be condemned for all eternity. What a terrible thing to do. But let's read this. Look at John chapter 3 from verse 17. After he's, he's told us that God loved this world, he gave his only begotten son. Verse 17 tells us, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. The mission has always been clear. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him will be saved. Verse 18 he that believeth on him is not not condemned. If you believe, you are not condemned automatically. But the one that does not believe is what? Condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. The, the problem is not that God is sending people to hell. They are sending themselves there as a result of their unbelief. Let me explain what that is. It's like someone who is diagnosed with cancer, maybe a stage four cancer. It's really bad. But thanks to miraculous and divine intervention, there's a cure. There's a cure for that. It is valid. It's approved. It works. It's, it's verified. And it's presented to you who has cancer. Take this cure. You'll be fine. You'll be well. You'll be holding in. And you say, no, I don't want it. So you reject the solution. You reject the cure. What happens to you eventually? Eventually, your days become numbered and the number reduces by the day. Eventually, you, that person is going to die. And it wasn't because the doctor killed that person. It was because they refused the solution. So the, the truth is that there is a wrath for sin. God's justice must be upheld. But in his mercy, God is both just and merciful. In his mercy, he did something. He provided a solution in his son, Jesus. He said, if you believe in what he has done on your behalf, you will be saved. If you receive the solution, you will be saved. So the one who rejects is condemned already by rejecting. The one who does not take the cancer cure, who is diagnosed with cancer, is condemning himself already because he's not taking the cure. That's the idea. So God is not in the business of sending people to hell. It just so happens that men do that all, all too well by themselves. 
So God doesn't send to hell. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. Praise the name of Jesus. It's important to realize that the solution is Christ. You choose to re- to receive or accept it. He's not strong arming you and say, "Oh, you have to choose one." If you don't choose, then you know people say that there's actually no free will because the obvious choice is to receive Jesus or else you die. But it's a solution to a problem. You take the solution, you'll be fine. You don't take the solution, you'll stay in the problem for all eternity. That's the idea I'm trying to pass across. Praise the name of Jesus. I know these things are are very sometimes it might seem a bit complicated but it's it's really just that simple all right then my fourth point in in god's defense is god allows free will we're asking why why is there still evil because god allows free will don't don't you see that if, if god was not a god that allowed free will everybody will be saved every single person he will make sure everybody is saved but because God is a God of love and, and true love comes from a place of free will. Nobody would want to be in a relationship where someone just has to love you because they have no other choice. How would you feel if your boyfriend tells you that? Ah, babe, why do you... Babe, tell me, okay? Like, tell me, like, be honest, right? Why, why do you love me? Like, why? And he says, oh, babe, uh, because I have to know. Do I have a choice? How does that sound? Because God is so good and loving, he gave everyone a chance to choose. And we saw that first expression of choice when he told them, out of all the trees, don't touch this and don't touch this. Don't touch the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it, right? If you touch it, that's it, right? And he gave them an option. That, that proved they had free will. In fact, their choice to disobey God proved that they had free will. If they didn't have free will, they would, they would not make any mistake at all or make any wrong choices at all. Do you, do you see what I'm going with this? And so because God allows free will, he will not see a rapist and force the rapist. Oh yeah, hey, hey, stop that rubbish. Come on, behave yourself. Or see someone who's about to steal money and just at every point correcting people. Because if that's the case, then there's really no free will. It means he'll be correcting every single person at every single second and every single time in every single country. Because there are people who have... The problem is when you have people with a sinful nature and you give them free will that's what you're seeing that's where there's so much evil in the world we're hearing about the the, the insecurity in the country nigeria right now we're hearing about you know the the on unrest we're hearing about the killings in the north all these things these are not god's devices these are the things that sinful men who have free will are doing all by themselves you need to re- and of course they have a little help from you know devil from the devil right from satan satan is really doing a good job at what he's doing because he knows his time is short but you need to realize that god has always been about making all things good and making all things new and he will he will this is the window of grace we're in right now the reason why you watched pornography yesterday or stole that meat yesterday or 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 you know took those drugs that other day and he didn't kill you on the spot is <laughs> because it's a window of grace he's not willing that anyone would perish but all come to repentance he's that gracious he is that gracious. That's the God we serve. And because we have free will, that's why evil still remains till this very day. I Do you understand what I'm saying? So these are just very salient points that I want you to just think about. 
But let's look at what the Bible says about God. This is how we're going to wrap up. I know we don't have much time. Let's go to James chapter 1 from verse 17. When you want to talk about God or anything about him, you have to move from the things that are known to understand the things that are unknown. And this is one of the things that is known to us. James chapter 1 from verse 17. It's a bold statement that the Bible makes about God and his goodness. Glory to God. Glory to God. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. I love this. Neither shadow of turning. So every good and every perfect gift that you can think of, including salvation, is from above. And it comes down from who? The father of lights. That's a title given to God. A father of lights. I love that. It means there is purity there. There is purity there. There is no darkness. That's why it says there is no variableness. I like that term. Variable, variableness means being able to change. Liable to change. But it's saying that, that God, the father of lights... There is no variableness with him. He's consistent. That light is steady. He's not like a fluorescent tube that keeps fluctuating on and on. If a, a faulty fluorescent tube that fluctuates on and off. That's not who he is. There is no variableness. There's stability. There's consistency. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Neither is there a shadow of turning. There is no inkling in him that bends to the other direction. He is consistent. So it means that even in his in his goodness, in the good and perfect gifts that, that come from him, it's consistent. There will never be a bad gift. There will never be an imperfect gift. You need to see that. So this is a bold statement saying that God is good. And all that comes from him is good. So everything that has been good came from God. Things that, that are, are considered good came from him because he's the source of all good things, of all good gifts. That is God. Praise the name of Jesus. This is important. It's a big statement. He is good. Everything that comes from him is good. Let this be something that resonates with you. When you look at the things happening in this world and you see the disasters and you see the pain and you see the death, don't come to a conclusion, God, why did you allow this? Think of his goodness. Remember that no matter what you're seeing right now, the sufferings of now are nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. You need to realize that even though there are sufferings now, he's going to make all things new. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. You are going to have a new body free from pain, disease, death sorrow all you would know is joy all you will know is life all you will know is peace all you will know is health good health and vitality that's going to be your story right now we endure 
we endure all hardness as good, as, as good soldiers of Christ. Right now is a time to get more people home, to get more people to know this good God who gave himself and demonstrated the greatest expression of goodness and love in giving his son, Jesus Christ. This is the time, the window of grace that God has called us and commissioned us to give these people answers, to tell them about his goodness, to reconcile them to himself, to do these things in this window of grace like Noah did in that time like Jonah did in his time we are doing the same so that people will not perish but they have everlasting life because you need to believe that God is always good he will always be good there is no variableness with him it will never change no matter how terrible you think you are or how faulty you are in yourself at your very core God is good and faithful to you even in the times of doubt God is patient to go from your place of doubt and walk you through your journey of faith to a place of consistency where your eyes are fixed on him where you truly trust and believe him even in a terrible and dark world to see him as a beacon of light that is shining brighter and brighter god wants you to know this that he is good (laughs) he is good he is good he is good he is good to you he is good to your family i'm sorry that you lost a loved one but i tell you and i'm saying this not without empathy it's life it's life my god told adam and eve that if you eat of this death will come upon you death reigned upon all because of that act of disobedience the good news is that righteousness and life came through one man the second man whose name's jesus hallelujah there is hope guys there is hope in a world where there's so much to despair about there's so much to complain about there's so much to be to to be angry about i know you you want to be angry with the government or angry with the leadership or angry with this person or that thing that happened to your family no matter what you need to realize that god has always been good and he still is today if god is good and we ask why is there still so much evil is because he loves sinners who are just like you because he's given them a second chance he's faithful and he is good praise the name of jesus all good and perfect perfect gifts come from above from the father of lights can we just turn this to prayer right now in your heart i want you to just come to a place of conviction and just tell god lord wherever i have doubted you or doubted your your goodness i see clearly now i'm sorry for those times but i see clearly now i see that you've always been good i see that you've always been intentional i see what my sin caused i see what adam's sin caused i see how how you've always been working things out for my good working things out to 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 make sure that we, we enter into your promise 
we enter into your inheritance we enter into eternal life and thank you lord because you've made that possible can you just talk to god right now i don't know what it is you want to tell god i don't know what it is you want to confess to him but he sees it all he knows those times those times that seem like down times he knows those times that it feels like you're you're so far away from him like he's not active like he's not working like he's it seems like he's dormant tell him that no you know he's actively working things out you know that he's intentional about you if god was so intentional that he gave his son gave his very life for your sake sacrificed it completely for you don't you think even more now he's still intentional about your well-being that he's still intentional about you about your family about your friends you need to remember that you need to remember that he's not to blame for the evil in this world. He's not to blame for all the bad that is happening. With all due respect, he is not the one. He's not to blame. So, but he's he's not worthy of blame. He's worthy of your glory. He's worthy of, of your praise and he's worthy of your honor. So begin to just tell that to him, that you thank him because he is good, because his mercies endure forever. In every action he took, he did it being led by his mercy, being moved by his love. So just thank him right now. Give him praise right now. He's a good father. He's a good, good father. You must never forget that. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you would have to pray this even after this Bible study and just spend time reveling in his goodness. He really is good. I promise you he is. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are good, God. We bless your name. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Can I just pray for you? Father, I ask in the name of your Son, that right now you visit every heart, every heart that has that is hurting, that has felt pain, that has felt distant from you, that has felt unloved by you, that has felt cheated by you and che- cheated by life, that had, had wanted you to come through like Abraham expected you would come through for him, but many years and year after year, no result, nothing happened, nothing changed. I pray right now that their hearts find peace. I pray that their heart finds you. I pray that their hearts find a certain level of joy and satisfaction in you. That they will know you're not far. That they will know that you've been kind to them. That they will know that they are what they are only by your mercy. Lord, I pray that you comfort their hearts. That you calm the storms in their lives. And let them see only your goodness. Let it be the only thing they see amidst the troubles and the storms. Your goodness. Your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it. And let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.